What's up, everybody, and welcome. We are Digital Denizens, and today is October 10th, 2020. Um, if, if you guys want to write into the podcast um, and have us read your funny, interesting, or emotional roller coaster of a video game story, ridiculous life questions, or just tell us what you're playing, um, we'll share it with the crowd listening in. And uh, you can write into Facebook at Digital Denizens um, or Instagram at Digital Deniz Digital underscore Denizens. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback as well. So um, today I have my co-host Dustin. How's it going, man? How you been doing? Good man, doing well, surviving the craziness of the pandemic and uh, yeah, everything else going on in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel you. Yeah, things have been kind of crazy and very divisive lately. So it's uh, you know, in a in a doom and gloom type of uh, environment right now. You know, it's kind of good to talk about some games and you know, just kind of let loose and just have a good time. You know, I think that's all we can really do right now. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so how have you been? I'm good. You know, just, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot to do aside from uh, playing games. You know, I got a got a motorcycle and my, my license, so just been kind of riding around doing that. You know, just enjoying, enjoying it before I have to put her up for the winter. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lifelong dream of mine. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, I know. I got to get myself a bike one of these days, too. Hell yeah. What have you been doing lately? Oh, you know, the usual adulting work, um, but getting ready to start a new business. Um, oh. Yeah, very excited about that, doing, uh, you know, media production and marketing kind of stuff, and, um, and then working on music. Um, and... Beyond that, uh, pretty much been playing Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, that nice. has taken up a lot of my time. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a pretty involved game, but you know, I uh, I haven't played it in it's been a couple weeks since I kind of laid down Ghost, but I I did enjoy it. You know, I don't know, I have a hard time just you know jumping from game to game, and you know, and even though it's a great game, I I fall off of games sometimes easily, but. Um, I, I did really enjoy the combat and um, I had talked with some people, you know, and kind of compared the combat a little bit. If, if, if the Witcher three had the combat from ghost of Tsushima, that would have been, that would have made that game even that much better. Oh, totally. Totally. You know, yeah, that was my main thing with the Witcher three. It was sort of the, the pacing and rhythm of the combat. Um, yeah. Still great for what it is, but the way Ghost approached combat, it's just everything so fluid and yet um, really immersive in how complex it is, uh, how many different uh, ways you can go about fighting enemies. It's uh, it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it had that really cool stance-type um, stance mechanic where you have to use certain stances against certain types of enemies. But, it, I, you know, I... That game, I think, has one, like, one of my favorite photo modes in any game so far. Um, I think I think playing through the game, I think I, I'm like probably about halfway, but I I want to say I took probably like 200 screenshots in that game just playing around with the photo mode, you know, and like catch, catching moments like just in the environment. Um, and then other moments where you're like in combat. And you just see, you know, like you cut down an enemy and you see the blood splatters like in air 
And one of my favorite filters in there, I think it's called Maple, which is like black and white, but then anything red just like pops. So like yeah. if your enemy is covered in blood or you have blood spatters on your armor, on your on your blade or whatever, like all that sh- all that stuff shows up. And that was just like <laughs> I was just like having a blast with it. It was just gorgeous. And the attention to detail that they did with that game is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, I yeah. <clears throat> I really can't believe how much detail they put in. I mean, I even just riding around the world, it never gets dull. It's, you know, it's close in terms of visual fidelity to like Red Dead 2, but I was yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, the yeah, the horse mechanics are very on par with the horse mechanics in Red Dead. Yeah, I mean, I will say I think Red Dead got the horse mechanics uh, better, you know, they they really put ev- so much attention to detail in the movements, the controls, mm. all of that. Um, the balls. <laughs> the, the balls, you know, they pulled out, they shrink. I mean, that's attention and detail. So, <laughs> they, went, they, they went balls to the wall with that one. <laughs> balls to the wall. Yeah, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well cool but, um, man yeah <laughs> <laughs> but going back to ghost like the, the lighting they uh like i feel red dead um really nailed it in terms of lighting atmosphere like any time of day or wet one no matter what the weather is um, right. everything looks so rich and detailed and natural um but what I like about Ghost and its lighting um, is it's very much more like cinematic. They leaned into that a, a bit more. Um, yeah. But somehow they captured reflections off of like the grass or whatever. I feel they pulled that off a bit better. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Thinking about it now, like I, I can picture it in my mind, like looking at the grass at night, you can see the moonlight reflecting off of it exactly yeah, yeah that was the grass and everything in that game was was phenomenal i you know just little moments like when you're riding through the grass with your horse and if you're like turning i don't know if you've noticed it but he'll reach down and actually like touch the grass or the flowers or whatever yeah I was, I, mm-hmm. yeah i was like that's so freaking cool you know there was just little things like that that i noticed here and there and i was like wow that's just very uh, humanizing, I guess, you know, things oh, that yeah. like most games w- wouldn't even think to put in there, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, they um, they wanted to make this cinematic and a part of it is there's a, there's a sort of like emotional or maybe even romantic kind of feeling throughout the game. You know, it's yeah. very... Um, I don't know. It's very human in the way like they uh, have the character go through his story. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, those little touches of like, oh, this this guy is like interacting with this world and he cares about this world, like shown mm-hmm. by, yeah, going by, he's touching the grass. It it makes it feel a lot more real and oh, kind, yeah. of, kind of makes the player care about what's going on in that world more. Yeah, and just to add one more thing 
Um, you know, one thing I really liked about the game was that they didn't have like the mini map in it. You know, it was all it was all built into like the animals, like the birds and the foxes and, you know, different things like that. If you listen for different sounds, like you'll hear a bird and you're like, oh, what's what's that? You know, and then you see it flying and and then you're just like, oh, I'm just going to follow it and it'll lead you somewhere, you know, to unlock, you know, maybe to unlock something or find a hidden something in the world and or you can follow you know the set the wind you know like it uses i think this is like one of the first games in a while that i've seen the playstation 4 use the the touchpad on the controller in a unique yeah. way um which you know this is sucker punch and their last game was um infamous second son which that was like you know short after launch title on the playstation 4 and you know since that game, I hadn't seen very many use it. I think maybe Spider-Man might have used it, but, you know, if you swipe up on the touchpad, it shows you see the wind flowing in a, in a certain direction. And you're like, OK, this is my main ob- whatever you have your waypoint set to. It basically will lead that way. And like, that's just a unique way of um, finding things in the world rather than just always looking at the minimap. I feel like you you miss stuff. You know, it, I think it encourages you a little more to go off the beaten path. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. I love that mechanic. It brings you into the world more. It, it, it creates more of an immersive feeling um, yeah. when you're playing it. Like, I mean, when you're playing a lot of games where you, you've got like a bar at the top, some sort of navigation bar with like your destinations, you know, showing mm-hmm. as icons and you're sort of using it as a compass and it it just like takes your attention away but when you're able to hold the controller and just flick up on the the trackpad and you know in game you just see the wind like show you where you need to go um yeah that is that was so smart and i think one of the best mechanics they introduced uh, and I really hope to see that kind of mechanic in other games, you know, here on yeah. out. Yeah, I think I think people should. I mean, I think it's cool to have the option. Like, I think Witcher 3 kind of did that a little bit where they had a lot of uh, accessibility and customization for their HUD where you can you can turn off the minimap if you wanted to. And I think that's cool as an option for people who want to play it in a different manner, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I think we see it more on pc um with games like that the customization and i've seen it in a couple games i think within the last year but i think it's becoming more common yeah but um but yeah i think um so i think i think one an exciting thing about this game is the new um the new fall update that they're doing with ghosts of tsushima where um, they're doing an online co-op. I think it's four-player co-op. Um, and I think it comes... Oh, October October 16th. So it's a multiplayer and new game plus update. And uh, this update's called Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima Legends. So basically, yeah, it's up to four players. And I guess you can. there's four different classes that you can choose from and different abilities with each class. And different uh, fighting styles, which is really interesting. Um, so, and I think it's going to be the world itself. I don't think is going to be in the the normal 
Marvel world. I think it's like it's almost some of the stuff that I've seen, like the video that I watched on it, looked very like dreamlike. Um, or I don't know what what would you describe it as? Yeah, I think what it's supposed to be is you know on the playing off the name Legends, it's really just mm-hmm. supposed to be a gameplay mode where your the story revolves around. Um, old Japanese legends or deities um, okay, you yeah. know, playing into Shinto le- legends specifically. Um, oh, look at and you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Check that. Were no, you a history so... <laughs> major or something? What's going on here? <laughs> no, I just read a lot of blog articles. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, as I understand it, you take on the role of a deity um, or cool. some other character from Japanese legends, and you play in a totally separate world where you, I assume there's going to be some kind of story, you know, involved with the missions they have available. Uh, yeah, that's what it seemed like, yeah. Yeah, it'll include similar, but um, or I should say, like, gear that's inspired by the main game but totally unique too um and some of that gear looks really cool the masks the armor um yeah def- definitely has that like supernatural vibe um and even the weapons seem to be uh you know similar but different in the multiplayer mode like i remember seeing a bow that looked to be sh- shooting light arrows um so I think they're leaning into the supernatural element in that gameplay mode. Yeah, that yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm really excited for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's just so cool that they're adding like a co-op multiplayer type element into that game. I think that'll really, you know, people get more out of the game than what they imagined they were going to when they first started playing it. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's a really good move on Sucker Punch's part. Um, yeah. Introducing a whole new game mode, like uh, post-launch like this. Um, it sets a good precedent, and I know other companies have done similar mm-hmm. things, but, um, you know, it, it's a great way to keep the uh, the franchise going, you know, between main releases um and keep the players engaged and talking about the game it's it's great yeah and uh, yeah definitely um all right so um what i've been playing lately um i've been playing a little bit of uh red dead online it's been a while since i mean red dead 2 came out what 20 november 2018 something like that uh yeah yeah Yeah. so i you know i spent probably a good like two months going through the single player to beat that game when it first came out um and then shortly after like i played a little bit of the online um with a buddy and and my brother brad which has been on the podcast before um and it was cool in the beginning um you know you have a lot of annoying people that are just trying to like run up on you and lasso the shit out of you and you know shoot you and just harass you and but you know, and you know the other stuff was cool. Like it had a lot of similar stuff in the single player. Um, there was a lot missing in the beginning, and 
you know, like you could still hunt, you could still fish and stuff like that. But there was there wasn't really there was like a couple story missions at that point. You know, there wasn't anything major to do in the game. It kind of it kind of got stale after a while. Um, and and coming back to it, you know, like two years later to see um, that they've they've added a wealth of of content in there. And, it, and it, even just like the quality of the environment and the world that you're roaming in, they did add a lot of like the stranger um, opportunities, I guess you would call them that you can like. Like if you're if you're like riding down the road, you know, you'll see somebody. They're like, "Help! My wagon's running away! Please catch it!" Or, <laughs> or you have like an old guy. He's like, "Please suck this this venom out of my crotch! I'm about <laughs> to die!" <laughs> you know, like you can you can stop and help these people, or you might miss it and then um, and fail that that stranger thing. You know, which. You know, essentially, you know, might just give you bad morality, a little bit of bad morality because you didn't help this person or something like that. Um, but it, it's cool that they added a lot of that quality of life um, stuff that feels a lot like the single player. I think that's what they were missing um, to give that world that character character. And, you know, that like all these sorts of things can be happening all over the world. And, you know, depending on what you're doing or whatever, you can miss out on these things. And I think that's really cool. Um, the other thing they added was, um, they added like roles that you can, you can join like bounty hunting. There's a trading, uh, naturalist. Um, I think they even have, uh, trying to think, I think part of the trading, you can do like a moonshine ring, and you can, you know, you can make different types of moonshine and then sell it to different people looking for different ones that will pay more for a batch. Um, you know, there's a lot of really cool things like that that give you give your personal character more character, <laughs> um, yeah. which is I, I found that that it that to be a lot a lot of fun. Um, like personally, I did, you know, starting out, I think everybody starts with the trader. And then you can kind of buy into some of the other ones, um, which you have to, that's the only, you know, that's the only thing about, about the online is, you know, you have all those microtransactions with like the gold and, and, you know, having to like unlock certain things. And then you have to be a certain rank of, of your role in order to unlock something. You know, there's a lot of like little things in there like that, that kind of bother me about the game. But as far as like your weapons and like other things, the economy seems very similar to the single player where you can, you know, you could buy a can of beans for 75 cents, where I think in the beginning when, when they first started the online, it was like almost triple the amount that you would be paying in cash for like these items and things. So, so I think that's cool to see that they've, they've kind of overhauled a lot of that stuff and made, made it make more sense. Um, in that retrospect so so yeah i've been having a lot of fun with it um and i know there's there's been some talk about um a halloween update um coming this month and rockstar hasn't exactly confirmed this it's been mostly like leaks where they're they're reading um i guess some people have like delved into the game files and found like 50 zombie character models um that yeah, they've been hidden from view, 
And so, so supposedly this this Halloween update I think is called um, what is it? It's like fear, fear, fear of the dark mode is what it's called. And and so like what people are linking this to is because these zombie models are called like fear something, you know, they're labeled as some army of fear is what it is. Yeah. So so they're linking it to this whole update. And, you know, a lot of people are thinking it's going to be like um, like the original Red Dead Redemption where they had the in that one, they had a single player undead nightmare where you play as John Marston and you have to like try to save your family from these like zombies and everything. And that was pretty cool. So I'm curious to see where they take the online mode um, and where you have to fight zombies. And I hope it's not just like you're roaming around the world doing your normal missions, but you have zombies roaming the roaming the world and you're just having to fight them off. Like I hope they do something unique in terms of like story missions that you can do with like your posse with your friends or whatever roaming around and you have to try and, you know, almost like left for dead kind of type thing, you know, I guess I should, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine it going that way. I mean, that the red dead world, just the world of the West, um, if it had a zombie component, it would be the perfect like walking dead game, you know? Oh yeah. So it would be a huge missed opportunity if they didn't incorporate some story elements and, Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that's coming. So there's no official announcement behind this yet. Um, not that I, not that I've found. Um, yeah, not that I've found yet. So I'm gonna keep my eyes open for that one. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, and then real quick, you know, I've been playing a little bit of uh, Star Wars Squadrons um, on on Steam, and I've been I've been I've been going all out on this all right i've been using the valve index headset i've been using my hotas setup with the throttle and and uh stick you know because like this is you know from when they launched when they announced the game they were saying this is going to be like a space simulator and i was like all right and and they said they were going to have all of this you know the the vr with the hotas setup you know right out of the gate and i was like yeah i'm totally going to do this because i love you know, I love space simulators and, and we don't have enough of them, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. And I, you know, they, they definitely delivered. And I, I think it's cool that they, you know, they price pointed it. I think it was about like 40 bucks or something like that. Um, and I don't know if there's any word of like DLC so far. It's just, it's like a short campaign. A lot of people said it's like, it feels like a lot like a tutorial, which, you know, is kind of disappointing. I haven't finished it yet. Um, and then they have like multiplayer missions that you can do and all of it. I, I don't think there's any third person. I think it's all in the cockpit type gameplay, but that's, that's fine with me. Honestly, like, I love that, you know, you have all, you have all of your like lighted up, all the instruments in the cockpit are lit up. You know, you can see your hand moving when you throttle up and down, you can see the stick move depending on where you move it. Um, and yeah, I think I think they did a really good job. It, it does have a lot of simulator like elements, um, but it, it's not overly complicated for anybody to figure out. I think they've they've simplified it enough where for people where it's easy to jump into, but not um, but not too arcadey either. So yeah, I've, I've been having a, a lot of fun with that. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, totally, man. And you're doing it right with the 
the VR headset and yeah. everything else. Um, I mean, we talked about it briefly the other day, but yeah. you know, I think that sort of game would be perfect for reviving the arcade scene, you know, like, well, whenever it's safe to return to arcades, but, um, right. yeah. you know, you know, like to be in a cockpit, uh, control mechanism and maybe even have that on a gyroscope to, you know, make you throw up all over the place. That would be <laughs> so immersive. And amazing. I love throwing up on myself. Yeah, man. I mean, one of my favorite pastimes as a kid, I was like, mom, I can't throw up on myself enough. Yeah, I know. And then, <laughs> you know, moms say, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. But, you know, like, screw you, mom. You know, yeah. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. yeah, who are you to tell me when and where I can throw up? Yeah, you know, it's a free country, so. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, let's get, in, let's get into the nitty-gritty here. You know, this, uh, is, this is why we're here, okay? You know, we are on the verge of having new consoles released, in like less than a month more than a month what is it what's the release date for the ps5 and xbox series x it's like a month i don't know holy shit you gotta be kidding me right now this is just this is wild so (laughs) (laughs) so I'll, i'll let you lead this one you can you can take the reins on this one okay well yeah we have the ps5 coming uh it, it seems like it's going to be the forerunner, in my opinion, um, between, you know, the the two new consoles coming out, PS5 and Xbox Series X. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, Sony did something quite out of the ordinary and uh, released their own official teardown video for the PlayStation 5 console. Um, oh, I was wondering what would break first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you so, were uh, yeah, it, it, it was pretty great. Um, you know, I would love to see manufacturers do this more often, uh, but they basically tore the, uh, the console down to its most basic parts and laid them all out in a very clean and efficient way. Um, it looks like doing maintenance and adding expandable storage is going to be super easy. Um, you know, so are they, the... So- so I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm curious. Like, are, are they encouraging people who buy the PS5 to like open it up and be able to upgrade it themselves? Because I know, like, in the past with you know PS3 and PS4. Well, PS4 a little bit different. I think they made it slightly pretty easy to access the hard drive slot at least. Um, but PlayStation 3, I remember it would pretty much void your warranty if you were to crack that baby open. Yeah, I'm, I actually don't know what the warranty situation is going to be, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they they do seem to be encouraging people to definitely like get to the expandable storage bay, mm-hmm. um, which is a great uh, uh, NVMe uh, M2 drive bay, yeah. um, and also to be able to take off the the white flaps. Um, yeah, I'm looking at that it. right now, and it looks pretty easy. Like, it didn't, he, he's not even using any tools that, like, there's no screws or anything like that. It looks like just like tabs, like it just slots and slides. Yeah, which I think is going to be great for uh, 
console modders, like people mm-hmm. that want to maybe take those panels off and be able to uh, do custom paint jobs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so I think Sony is making a statement about like they understand what their user base wants and you know of course they want an amazing gaming experience they want the next generation of games and features you know cloud-based features and all of that good stuff but the hardcore gamers may want to really um you know do something special with the physical console itself um and and to improve it yeah i remember last the last like couple generations it was a pain in the butt to uh you know add a built-in expandable storage you want to swap out your hard drive like that was kind mm-hmm. of a bit you know um and but this one with the nvme uh, m2 drive slot like it's very easy to access and it's actually when when these types of drives come through uh, because it specifically requires pcie four drives um which are only starting to come to the market and become affordable. Um, right. Uh, the the expandable drive is actually going to be faster than the built-in drive, so that's pretty interesting. Oh, so so you're saying is they'll have like they'll have a regular um, hard drive in there, or well, not a regular, but an SSD. But then you can expand it further with an NVMe, or is it already right. have an NVMe in there? No, what they have is a soldered in. <laughs> custom solid state drive it's like right on the uh, on the board on the main board mm-hmm. oh okay but then they'll have a slot where you can expand it with further memory yeah yes yeah, exactly space. it has its own separate bay for the nvme drives um and the built-in custom drive is 825 gigs um and the bandwidth is wow. 5.5 uh gigabytes second but so they're almost going like a terabyte right off the bat that's pretty awesome yeah and i think it's needed because a lot of these you know next gen games are going to be even bigger like require it's really going to require um probably double in size is my guess Um, yeah well i mean you you have games like you have games like red dead redemption 2 or the new call of duty that are like well over 100 gigs you know i remember red dead redemption 2 sitting about like 110 gigs and i think the new call of duty is almost like 150 gigabytes like that that's insane i mean first of all i think that's just crazy for as for a call of duty game i could see maybe red dead being that long that big of a size but i mean if you're gonna have every game being you know even just 100 gigs you know with with 800 some odd gigabytes you can only fit eight games on there, you know, like you're going to have to constantly be taking games on and off. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good move to uh, to start off with a larger storage at standard and then also be able to expand it later on if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, I do think it's going to be necessary to use that expansion mm-hmm. bay because as the games get bigger and more complex, um, I think the built-in drive might only support uh, three, you know, AAA titles installed on the drive. Um, yeah. You know, figure each game is uh, around 150 gigs or something. Then yeah. 
yeah, that, that space will get eaten up. And then between, you know, if gamers have indie, a bunch of indie games installed or whatever, um, right. I think that expansion bay is going to come in handy. But the really sweet thing about the expansion bay is that, yeah, it'll actually be faster than the built-in drive. It, it'll be capable of um, 7 gigabytes a second in bandwidth, which I think will allow... Um, you know, even these super uh, complex and resource-heavy games to basically have zero load times. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about that, just to continue to increase immersion into the gaming experience. Yeah, I mean, we, we see that we see that more and more with PC already. You know, I feel like PC is already into the next gen. They've been into the next gen for like a good year or two now. Um, you know, at least with the starting last year, I think with the 2080 series or the 20 series of NVIDIA cards, um, you know, they started with RTX ray tracing and DLSS, which, you know, in some games works and other games, not so much. Um, but you know, having a lot more Ram on board with those, like, I think my 2080 card, I think has like eight gigabytes of Ram. Like that's the most I've ever seen on it on a on a card like that you know yeah yeah so (laughs) yeah so yeah so they're able to load these games a lot faster and not every game's optimized you know in that in that fashion but you know some people do it better than others but yeah i think that's going to be interesting to see on a console you know with very minimum load times and all that stuff that's exciting yeah yeah i'm stoked for that and it's cool, you know, they they will still allow um, external drives, you know, because of the PS4 backward compatibility, um, mm-hmm. you'll be able to still load PS4 games off of an external drive if you want. Um, PS5 games, they, they won't install directly to an external drive because I think they are going to be so demanding. They need that special, you know, custom built solid state drive to operate from um wait so you'll so back up a second so uh, you'll be able to you'll be able to install your your ps4 games onto an external drive yeah um you know they they do that with the ps4 right now um where if you want to add an expandable drive you can plug it in via usb um, oh okay i see like an extra, and you can mm-hmm. set that as your install drive for extra games um interesting yeah i think i have like ghost and final fantasy 7 on an external hard drive um, oh you did that yeah yeah it was real easy you just plug it in format it within the playstation mm-hmm. and you can set it as your game install drive so that's cool um, yeah the same thing will be on the ps5 um but only PS4 games can be installed to those external drives. Um, yeah, that makes PS5, sense. Yeah, PS5 game data can be put on those drives, like uh, save game data, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of options for storage with that console. Um, yeah, this is awesome. I mean, you know, this will be nice if you can get your hands on the console. <laughs> Because I know yeah, they're doing doing a lot yeah. less than they have in the past. So, I mean, you can imagine 
Black Friday being even more maddening, you know, because like these new consoles come come out around the holidays and it's like they're already hard to find. But I think this is going to be a totally different case in this basis. Oh, yeah. I mean, even with everything going on, I think this Black Friday, it'll, you know, blood will be pouring through the streets, um, you know, over (laughs) trying to get these consoles. I need Um, my PS5! (laughs) Yeah, I was just watching an older South Park episode um, now that it's all, like, on HBO Max. And uh, there was, or it was like a trilogy, I think, where it was when the Xbox One and PS4 were getting released, and it was a whole Black Friday, oh, Lord of, you know, the Lord of the Rings thing, and um, yeah, man, it seems to be like history repeating itself now. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I, yeah. I, um, I guess we'll only know how the availability situation uh, turned out after yeah. November's over. Yeah, because wasn't wasn't there an issue recently with like the pre-orders? I can't remember what if there was like a. I think there was a specific site um, that like took too many pre-orders, and they ended up like having to you know cancel some people's pre-orders because of it. Yeah, I don't know the details, but I did yeah. see some headlines that I, you know didn't read the articles, but just saying that there were issues. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I um did you pre-order one or no? No. No, I'm oh, going to okay. wait until probably middle of next year. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, personally, you know, I I do most of my I own a PS4 Pro. I've I had I still have my launch PS4, you know, which I, you know, my kids use or whatever. Um, you know, they get the old garbage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I I don't know. I I do most. I still play like some of the you know the exclusives like Uncharted and Last of Us and um, you know the Sucker Punch games, Ghost of Tsushima, God of War. Like all those games bring me to the PS, the PlayStation consoles, um, and I'll still I still love it more than Xbox. I mean, which you know who knows? We'll see. Maybe we'll see with the Xbox Series X. Maybe things will change with all of those acquisitions under uh, Microsoft's belt, which I think is a uh, is very interesting. Um, but I I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm, I do a lot of my gaming on PC currently. Um, and, you know, with the launch titles that they showed off with the PlayStation 5, um, there was only maybe like one or two, you know, that I can uh, that I can name offhand, like uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, but on the other hand, I you know I own a PlayStation 4 Pro, which I could still play that on there, and you know yet it's not going to look as good as it could or run as fast or have less loading times on the PS5. Like it's still going to be essentially the same experience, you know. Right. So yeah, man. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm with you there. I uh, there are a lot of exciting exclusives coming, but I think. It'll be next year when a nice library is available. Um, yeah, yeah. It takes time to build this stuff up and and get it to the point where you're like, yeah, okay, I can definitely um, justify buying a five hundred four or five hundred dollar console, you know, for for these like for these games that are out for it now. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, just personally, um, you know, I think the next big game coming is certainly Cyberpunk. 
and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know i would love to play it i i really enjoy the console style gaming experience but um you know i think the best way to play it is going to be on pc um yeah i agree so, so since that is kind of the game for for me at least for the rest of the year um yeah i'm cool <laughs> with just like i'm just cool yeah i know it's gonna take <laughs> i just i just want to like live i just want to live and breathe that world you know like I'll, I'll play that game for like a year straight if i need to yeah i mean cd project red said it's going to be like the main story campaign is going to be shorter than the witcher 3 but i mean the witcher 3's just the main story campaign was like 50 something hours um yeah and then they added yeah. all the dlc which like brought it up to like 300 hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, you, if you want to complete everything um, yeah and I, like I think i got like 150 hours in and i still like didn't even finish the main story yeah i mean what a beautiful concept um yeah basically creating this so, this hugely expansive world that you can just almost endlessly go back into and find something new to do um yeah that's great but you know it also can be disappointing because there's a lot of us as gamers that are completionists that are perfectionists and mm -hmm. to get everything done but man it, it it's like a real achievement to uh complete the witcher 3 100 <laughs> percent yeah <laughs> like, oh yeah for sure but you know, I think the cool thing about about their games too, like you were saying, you know, like the main story, you could beat it in fifty hours. Like you know, for people who just who don't have the time for that um, open world, and they're like, well, I just want to play through the story and just experience that. Um, I think that's cool. You know, you don't have to complete everything. You know, you could just play the game, be done with it, and move on to something else. You know, for people who only have limited amounts of time and. And I think that's what, you know, it's going to be the same thing, I think, for Cyberpunk and, you know, maybe even shorter for the main story than 50. I don't know. You know, maybe it will be less than 50 hours. I don't think they've really specified at this point. I think you you said that it's just going to be shorter than Witcher 3, but they haven't gotten into details. Um, no, no, but I have heard rumors that the <laughs> going back to install sizes for mm -hmm. Cyberpunk, the rumor is that it could be close to 200 gigs. Um, Holy shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. I mean, wow. I think CD Projekt Red released an official reply um, saying that it won't be 200 gigs. But does that mean it will be 195 gigs? <laughs> you know, it might be. It might be. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I know they did talk a little bit about the world being that, you know, it's not going to be as like as spread out as the witcher three which makes sense i mean you're in this like you know metropolis of a city um which i think what they were saying is they're going more vertical you know so like you may it may be like a smaller circumference or radius of the city but you'll be able to go in buildings that have like you know who knows how many floors or whatever where there's all sorts of th different things to do um or going underground the city and you know, and the other thing I think is really cool um, is for, you know, more playability for people who do want that, you know, have, you know, have that more itch of a completionist or perfectionist is that they have the different playthroughs um, 
and I know we talked a little bit about this. I've I've followed with like the the Night City Wire episodes that they're doing like every you know I think they're doing like once a month or something like that up yeah. until the up until the release and it's like every single one, each one of them kind of talk about different um themes or aspects like i think the last one talked about the different gangs in in uh, night city and outside because there's like the surrounding outskirts of the city which is called the badlands and there's like you know it gives off like a very like mad max kind of feel to it where they're you know they're living in in these like dusty environments and you know they're like hot rodders and stuff like that they're doing like dirt races and stuff out there you know it's a different totally different lifestyle out there but um they didn't say they said you can't join factions but since you're a mercenary you can basically work for any of them you can do jobs for any of these gangs which is kind of cool you know you still get to experience all of these gangs um They've done another one, and we're talked about all the weapons. I think the next next week, I think they're doing one where they're talking about the vehicles, um, and so yeah, I think um, going back to the the multiple playthroughs is you'll be able to start with a different backstory, which starts you in a different part of the world. So you could start where you live out in the Badlands, and you have to work your way to the inner city of Night City. Or you can be um, like, uh, I don't know, you can live in the slums of, of Night City and you're just like a, you're just like a street kid. You know, you got to work your way up to the top or you can be a corpo, which is basically like the, uh, you know, you're, you know, you wear a suit, you work in, in the executive district or something like that. And, you know, you're already kind of at the top, but, you, you know, who knows what that's going to be like, you know. So I think that's kind of cool having, and I think when having these different starts, they did say there's certain characters that you might um, encounter with that you might not experience picking a different starting point and backstory. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of wonder if, you know, there's just like a set amount of um, pre-made starting points, or if maybe in the future you'll be able to download like, and expand that selection so you could start off from like i don't know you could have like 20 or 30 different options that would be cool i mean i mean they did in and the, the other thing they did talk about was like the quest lines and everything and going back to the witcher 3 um i think they said they typically had between like two and three different branching points for each quest line so you take branch one which will take you down this path but you might totally miss if you didn't take branch two or three, you might totally miss this whole other quest line. Yeah. It's an interesting story um, where it branches off maybe two or three times off of that second branch or third branch. And, um, and what they're, I think what they were saying in cyberpunk is that they're going to have more than three branching options to start. You may have like four or five different branching options. And depending on what you choose to do or how you like encounter this, this quest, you know, you, it may lead you down a whole, you know, loaded path, which is, is really cool. I think that varies, um, your encounters. Like, I think everybody's going to have such a different playthrough from one another, depending on what you choose. Yeah. 
I know that's probably what I'm most excited about is yeah. this beyond maybe any other game yet uh, seems to be a true like living and breathing world with, mm-hmm. you know, where most of your actions have like real consequences and how the game unfolds. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be wild, man. It's going to be quite the gaming experience. Yeah. So I, you know, I know we talked a little bit about this, you know, off off the record, but, um, you know, I kind of wanted to bring up the topic of uh, crunch and, you know, I know CD Projekt Red seems to be a much better company, you know, looking from the outside in um, looks like a better company to work for than, you know, maybe some others like Rockstar, which has been kind of a target for crunch all the time. Um but I know there was a there was a recent article um, kind of pointing this out with the CD Projekt Red because, you know, since the last was it was it the last time they pushed it back? I think they said they weren't going to do they promised that they weren't going to do crunch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, so well, basically, um, you know, the gaming industry has been dealing with crunch for a while now um, and handling it and in a number of different ways, either by making it mandatory or mm-hmm. um, or just sort of, I don't know, uh, making such strong suggestions the employees pretty much don't have a choice uh, other than to engage with 80-hour work weeks or beyond, um, mm-hmm. sometimes with overtime pay, sometimes, you know, it's worked out differently. I guess it depends on whether... You know, the studios are working with employees or contractors. Um, You know, it's become a messy thing. Um, But yeah, most recently, CD Projekt Red, they did have to delay um, uh, to the now November 19th release date. And they said they would not, you know, utilize crunch time because it just, it does put wear on the employees. Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, (laughs) recently they did say, you know, we said we wouldn't do it, but we are going to have to uh, employ a mandatory crunch time Mm -hmm. um, to meet the November 19th release. And, you know, it's a shame, kind of a disappointment, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about it? I was going to say, I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about it. you know, because like I said, like Rockstar, like they were pinpointed for doing crunch like almost all year round for certain games that they've worked on. Um, and I think that's highly unacceptable. You know, like they would say it's not mandatory, but, you know, people came out and put their statements out saying that, like, they said it wasn't mandatory, but yet they like almost like they looked down on those people who didn't stay and work with the rest of the team. And it's like you can't you can't put people in that in that position like that's just wrong. Um, you know, you can't treat people like that. You can't say it's not mandatory, but then like give them shit for not doing it. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, but, you know, people have families. They have they have lives outside of work. And yet, like this is a passion for them. Like they didn't expect to be thrusted into this type of environment. You know, that's just I, I don't know that that bothers me. Um, on the, on, on this other spectrum, we're talking about cyberpunk and, um, and with CD project red and personally, you know, they, they haven't, I don't, 
I don't think that they've done. I don't think they've done crunch um, through through their process. I think they they did at some points. Is am I accurate about that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, as far as I know, I think The Witcher Three involved crunch, but I'm not sure about. Wait, say that again. Um, no, okay. I was just... With you said with The Witcher Three, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I yeah, I don't think that they have with Cyberpunk. Um which I think that, you know, I'll give them I'll give them credit for that. I think that's awesome that they hadn't. And and you know, I guess it's it's hard to say, you know, because we don't like we don't work in the industry. We don't even work at a developing studio. So it's hard to say not being, you know, in the shadows and or being a fly on the wall and being able to experience it ourselves. Um but, you know, like any other job, um, you know, you have deadlines and things like that that you have to meet. And and they have pushed it back, you know, they have pushed it back a couple times in order, you know, because they're like, we, you know, as much as we want to make that deadline, it's just not feasible. You know, they wanted to have more time to work on the game and not have to make them do uh, crunch in order to get the game out. And I think, you know... I would say, like, in, in your profession, you know, you work in, in the media industry, you have deadlines, right? So um, if you have to meet that deadline, um, like, you don't always have that um, the liberty to be able to just push back your, your deadline for a client, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so you may have to work overtime in order to get that project done. And I think, like... With in, in the case of Cyberpunk with CD Projekt Red, it's a month away from now. You know, they, they came out and they, they were proactive and announced it. Whether they did, they did it because they didn't want to get flack for it, for not announcing it and not having it come out later, or they just really do care about their employees um, and wanted to, you know, let other people know and be like, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're sorry. We didn't plan on this, but a month out, a month from release and having to do it, I don't think is nearly as bad as like being put through the ringer for six months of that schedule. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think CD Projekt Red kind of showed that they are really a class act when it comes to crunch. Um, first mm-hmm. of all, you know, kind of committing to not putting their employees through it to begin with was... Mm-hmm. A very nice thing to to commit to whether it was yeah. realistic or not you know i think right. they didn't expect this to happen i uh, they already delayed it once to you know give the team more time without you know putting any uh you know real extra pressure on them um yeah but mm-hmm. it just so happened yeah i mean uh, for a company like that it's very uh challenging you have to meet the expectations of your publishers and all of the other companies you're working with to release the game. Um, yeah. You have to, I mean, it, it gets messy, you know, you're working with marketing companies or I was, with publishers and so on and so forth. Yeah. I was just about to say that too. You know, it's like, I think pushing it back once, you know, they probably didn't have all of the solid marketing exactly in place. And I think right now at that point, they've already probably paid a ton of money to get all the marketing in place. And 
Um, and to have to like reschedule some of that stuff, it probably would cost them a good amount of money. And not to say that like, you know, the workers aren't worth that, but I mean, you kind of have to, you have to, you know, weigh out your options in that situation, um, you know, risk versus reward. And, you know, I, it, going back to the beginning when they first, you know, announced um, Cyberpunk 2077, was interesting because they didn't even have a release date to begin with. They were just like, it's ready when it's ready. You know, like we're not we're not even putting a release date out. But then they started to get um, more familiar with how far along they were in the development cycle. And then they came out and said, all right, you know, I think we're ready to release, you know, or to come out with a statement when the release date's going to be. They came out with the first release date, which was October, October 19th or something like that. And then they ended up, you know, eventually pushing it to November 19th. So I don't know. I, you know, again, it, I guess, it, it, you know, it's hard to say because we don't work there. But I would, I would, I would imagine that they, they seem like a company that, that does try to treat their, their employees better than most, you know, and I think, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to say, you know. Yeah, man. You know, I, I think what they're doing is acceptable, though. You know, like, it, they're, they have to strike a balance between appeasing the fans, appeasing the companies they work with, mm -hmm. and appeasing the employees and making sure they're uh, well taken care of. And as I understand it, the employees are being well compensated for the crunch. Yeah, but, right. Um, yeah, man, sometimes it's, these things happen, you know? Like, yeah. the gaming industry is an industry and this happens in you know when you have large productions no matter what you're you're doing you know yeah i mean even so. even tv shows and movies i'm sure encounter the same thing you know like they probably have to work longer hours acting you know like on set you know because they're like we have to get these we have to get these these scenes done so we can edit them within a certain amount of time so that way we can get the movie out by this such and such date, you know, so I think it's, you know, in all in all sorts of industries, I think we encounter crunch. Um, it just depends on how far they push it, you know, how far is it pushed? How far are the employees pushed? And, you know, what's too far, you know, so yeah. it's I think it's 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 not just black and white. I think there's definitely some gray areas in there. And it's a, I think it's a case by case basis. You know, you can't judge it all the same. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. So um, I think the the last thing I think we wanted to talk about, unless you have something else that that we were going to throw in, um, was the the Microsoft Bethesda acquisition. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty wild, huh? Um, what do you Person. think it means, man? I mean, Microsoft <laughs> acquiring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh I'm I'm pretty damn excited about this honestly. Um so let's just let's just go the route of speculation, okay? Um so so what I find really interesting is a year ago from this announcement Microsoft acquired a bunch of studios. One of those studios, well, a, okay, so a couple of those studios, Obsidian which I think about a year ago came out with um, The Outer Worlds, which was very much in the light of like a Fallout style game. 
but it was an open world. It was more of like a hub world type game. Very cool. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, um, but it was more of like a retro space type game, you know, rather than being like a post-apocalyptic. But it had a lot of like what made Fallout games good, but not with the crappy engine, the creation engine that Bethesda uses. Like I think they used Unreal Engine 4. Um, it had a lot of the very, I think a lot of the guys who had worked at Obsidian and Black Isle Studios when they worked on um, Fallout New Vegas, worked on that game. Um, and then on the other hand, you have um, In Exile Studios, which has like, you know, the head, the head director, Brian Fargo, who had worked on the original Fallout 1 and 2. And I think I believe he also worked on Fallout New Vegas at Obsidian and Black Isle for during that period. And just recently they came out with Wasteland 3. And he's Brian Fargo has been the head of like the Wasteland games from the beginning. Um that's been like his his baby, you know, and kind of calling calling back to the original Fallout games, being isomet top-down isometric, um, tactics like game. Um, and the new one is phenomenal from what I've played so far. So what I find interesting is that they acquired In Exile with Brian Fargo a year ago, and now they just acquired Bethesda. So what I'm hoping for is that they, they get rid of that whole creation engine because I think that's just unacceptable in the fact that you know all of um, Bethesda's main games like The Elder Scrolls and Fallout games have just been like a buggy mess and it's because of you know i think the laziness of just using a 20 year old video uh, game engine you know this this engine has been used since um the elder scrolls uh not morrowind um what was the one on xbox 360 oblivion? the name is oblivion yeah that's that's how old that game that's how old this engine is they yeah. basically just built on top of it. And it's like you can't if you have like a broken structure underneath, it's going to be broken no matter what you do to it because it's built on top of a faulty structure. So I would love to see. Honestly, I I, I personally don't like Todd Howard. I think he's he's not good for the company. Um, I think he's just been. He's he's just, you know, every every statement he comes out, oh, it just works, but but it doesn't, you know, like if you have to rely on your your player base to fix your games and then you come out with a twit like a Twitter statement like, oh, we love how our how our uh, fan base like fixes our games like that's not something to be proud of. That's not a good thing. You know, like it's cool if you open it to the modding community and you're like, oh, this is so cool seeing the creations that people are adding to our game, but to have to like have the fan base come out with patches to fix your game that's that's not acceptable yeah i completely agree with that um yeah it, it has been very disappointing to see what's happened with, with like fallout 76 um yeah. i think I, that's what yeah. you were talking about right when they announced that they were just like it just works and well, that that and also fallout 4 fallout 4 was like just as broken when it first came out too like i ended up I ended up modding the shit out of that game. Like I think I had probably close to a hundred mods in that game for it to run smoothly and run the and play the way I wanted it to play. Same skis. Yeah, it's just I don't know. That's just crazy, you know. Um, 
And so I guess what my hope is that like maybe and and maybe they don't let Todd Howard go, which is whatever, you know, that's their decision. But um, I think at least they should bring on Brian Fargo to work on the next fallout game being like the head, like just maybe take Todd down a couple pegs and just have him work underneath Brian Fargo and have him show him what a true fallout experience should be you know, in terms of writing and all of that stuff. Because I remember going back to Fallout New Vegas, like, that was, like, some of the best writing in a Fallout game. You know, like, they did Fallout 3, which, like, the writing was kind of meh. You know, like, the game was still awesome. I still enjoyed it. But then you came out with Fallout New Vegas, and you were like, I can tell this is the writing from the original Fallout guys. Yeah, man. And, yeah, I think it's really interesting how this acquisition... uh opens up the opportunity for that kind of collaboration mm-hmm. um and it's just pretty wild how things maybe come you know coming full circle um, yeah for fargo so and the other real quick i just wanted to add was actually i think it was last week or the week prior brian fargo actually put out a twitter statement saying that he was announcing two new rpgs since the acquisition didn't say what they were, but he was like, it's too early in, in it's like, you know, it's in, like, basically like in its embryo stage. But he was like, just wanted to announce we're working on two new RPGs. So, question mark? What's oh, the mystery? Boy. Who are the, what, what are these two RPGs that we're working on? Because you just came out with Wasteland 3. You know, like, I mean, maybe maybe they're working on Wasteland 4, but... I mean, the odds of them coming out with a Wasteland 4 in a year or even a couple years, I don't know. I think I think maybe they're working on something else. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't be surprised, especially with where things should be at uh, development-wise with Elder Scrolls 6. Um, yeah, because they haven't um, really, they've only announced it, right? They haven't, they haven't shown anything on Elder Scrolls 6, right? No, just that first announcement trailer. Um, yeah, you know, basically a flyover of some sort of rocky continent or something. That's um, right. Which mm-hmm. is like any continent, so did not reveal anything. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> is that Florida? Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that it looks very different. Episode. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did see the other day actually there was like a couple screenshots of Starfield, which is that that space game. And some people were saying it looked like a crossover between like No Man's Sky and uh and Mass Effect. And so people are speculating that you're gonna be able to go to different planets and, and things like that to experience this world. So I'm excited I'm kind of excited, you know, like I you know, I kind of imagine they're probably using the same engine as the other Fallout games. I hope not, but um, I'm curious to see what the game is, at least. You know, I'll just throw in a couple hundred mods and make it work right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, I have high hopes for uh, for that game, and yeah, I guess we'll just see. But uh, what I was going to say before is, like, the... Uh, you know, I think they've got to be pretty far along in the development of the next Elder Scrolls. So I think it makes perfect sense that they would start putting their attention on Fallout again. And so, you know, yeah, maybe what uh, what was it? Fargo announced uh, could be Fallout, could be Wasteland, could be both. Yeah. 
or some total, totally new games, but uh, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, and I would, I would honestly be happy if, like, if Brian Fargo was talking about a Fallout game, whether they did it, like, top-down isometric, going back to the roots of Fallout, and, like, you know, playing very similar to Wasteland, because Wasteland 3 plays very much like the original Fallout, but very streamlined, very easy to jump into. I remember playing Wasteland 2 actually recently because I had never played any of them. And I had like a free code for Wasteland 2. And I was like, let me try this. I'd been playing like a couple other um, tactical RPGs like that recently. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, I want to try this. Like, I've always wanted to play it because it was supposed to be a lot like the Fallout franchise, the original ones. And it was very convoluted and very hard to get into. And even right off the bat, it was like very difficult to even just like hit an enemy from like a decent ways away from the enemies and jumping into the new one. Like they totally simplified all of these like systems. They made it pretty easy to jump into and it's not hard to like feel like you're making progress like that, that steady flow, you know? So I thought that was awesome. So it would be cool to see a fallout game done, you know, the way the original ones were, but with better graphics and a, and a overhauled system, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be a lot more money resources, too, available to these studios, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is not just a Bethesda acquisition. This is a Xenomax uh, yeah. total acquisition. So that involves id Software, you know, Xenomax Online, Arcane. Uh, oh, yeah. Tango. Um, a, a number of different studios. And I mean... Mm -hmm. I think, um, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how far they can push these AAA titles. Um, but some new leadership, maybe some extra funding. Um, one thing I'm a little afraid of, though, is mm -hmm. that this acquisition is going to turn Bethesda games into uh, Xbox exclusives. Um, I was wondering that, too. I was just thinking that, too. I was like, what? what if... Because I did see something that Todd Howard say said about the acquisition, and he, I think he said it's better better in Xbox's hands than in Sony's hands. So that I wonder if like maybe that's what they're going for. Are they going to make the Fallout franchise and Elder Scrolls like exclusive to Microsoft? That would be a first, and I think that might give them a leg up. It would over, be ball for Sony. It would be very ballsy because they've always made those games cross cross platform. Yeah, I mean, I I think it could go like one of two ways, where they do make it exclusive, and that can bolster Xbox Series X um, mm -hmm. sales. You know, like I I personally don't see anything too exciting about the Series X like over the PS5. So. Yeah. I will probably end up owning both at some point, but I'm my attention's on the PlayStation. However, well, you know, if if a lot of these upcoming games will be exclusives, I mean, even if it's like Fallout and Elder Scrolls are cross platform, which I mm -hmm. think is likely. I mean, yeah. if I if think Wolfen, if Wolfenstein becomes um you know, an like exclusive, an exclusive. Mm -hmm. that might be enough still to yeah. push sales of the consoles. 
because I was thinking, I was thinking like they could make those games exclusive, but on the other hand, you might have a, they might get a lot of backlash over making a game like Fallout or Elder Scrolls um, exclusive to Microsoft. Because it, it'd be one thing, like you know, I think Sony did it did it right off the bat. They you know they they came out with Uncharted, they came out with Last of Us, they, you know, like. The Sucker Punch games, God of War, like right off the bat, they announced these games as being exclusive. So if like Microsoft had done that from the get go and these games had always been exclusive, I don't think there would have been a there wouldn't be a problem. But the fact that they've been multi-platform for so long, I think if they were to be like, yep, they're exclusive to Microsoft now, I think people would lose their shit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, there would be there would be an outcry, and I think I I don't know. I feel like it might be a mistake for to do that with that. I think they would they would I think if they were going to do exclusives, they would have to be new exclusives coming along coming out of the pipe. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll just have to see how uh, the story develops. Um, yeah, I think it would just be crazy <laughs> if their biggest franchises became exclusives. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people are too accustomed to playing Fallout or, you know, Elder Scrolls uh, cross-platform. And and I don't know, uh, fit like, financially, I don't know what that means. Like, does it, are they going to take a loss to boost Xbox sales? Um, you know, yeah. take a loss on software sales? Or how's that going to work but it will be interesting to see if uh, microsoft owned studios will even play nice with sony um yeah it's interesting the other thing i was going to say is you know i don't know personally like for me if i'm going to buy a console it's going to be the playstation 5 um at some point and i don't really have any plans to get an xbox series x and that's only because you know like i said i play mainly on my pc for gaming um and a lot of the all of those um xbox series x exclusives will be available for pc because you already have xbox game pass on console and pc um you know like i can already play all of i can play now all of the halo games on xbox game pass for free you know for like i don't know it's like five or ten bucks a month um for all of those games and then you know when the new halo infinite comes out i'll be able to play it on pc right off the right out the gate you know so i think for people who own a pc i think um i don't think it's really necessary to buy this other console when you have access to it already yeah that's a really good point i mean it it kind of goes into the new uh, xbox smart delivery service that microsoft is pushing um you know even that you buy a game for one platform you have it for all microsoft supported platforms Mm -hmm. and um yeah it really makes me wonder like it's an interesting strategy for microsoft to take um but yeah if you have like a pc that's completely you know you have the most like up-to-date and powerful graphics cards and processors and everything like what is the main incentive for getting a Series X? Um, right. It seems like they're kind of narrowing that that window of opportunity for like people that I don't know. I guess have no interest in PC gaming. They 
would rather spend $500 on a new console, I guess. Um, yeah. But even $500, I think, can buy you a pretty decent uh, beginner gaming PC, you know? Um, or yeah. get, or, and or you might, you'd probably have to upgrade it, you know, to get up to like a better, it'd probably be like a medium tier PC, I would think, you know? Yeah, or at least like 500 could get you um, a lot of the components you need to build a, a good gaming PC. Yeah, uh, for sure. So it's interesting. Um, you know, they're definitely trying to shake things up across the gaming industry. Uh, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to add with the PlayStation 5, um, you know, which hasn't been fully announced with the PlayStation 5. I, I mean, they, they did announce they were going to do the uh, PSVR 2. Um, so I'm curious to see how that kind of fleshes itself out. I think they weren't going to, they're not going to launch it with the launch of the PS5 right out of the gate, but they were going to do it later on. Um, and they haven't set an announcement or you know, release date for that or anything, but I have seen some things about um, what the controllers possibly could be and what their plan is for the PSVR 2. And this is interesting because, um, I mean, I started my I started my VR gaming with the PSVR on the PlayStation 4, and it was a cool it was a, something cool to get you into the market of like playing VR games. Like it was a good beginner headset for sure. Um, but you know, now that we have all of these other VR headsets, like uh, you know the Oculus, I had the Oculus Rift S shortly after that. Um, you know, which is tethered to the PC. Um, but now you have, you know, the Oculus Quest, which is totally wireless, or you can now tether it to the PC and use the same controllers and had the inside out tracking with the, with the tracking cameras on the headset itself. Um, and then eventually I upgraded to the valve index, which, you know, right now, I think that's probably your, your best bet for like, you know, pro VR, uh, setup, you know, you have the beacons set, you know, two of them set one each across from each other in the room and then it tracks the whole headset and controllers in a 360 without any hiccups whatsoever and that's that was a bit of the problem with the psvr one is that you're tracking with just the playstation i and then you have lights on the headset in the front and the back and then you're like your your move wands which you know came out during the era of the playstation 3 so they were already dated out of the you know when they were when the PSVR was released. And so the tracking is not, you know, the greatest, you know, the resolution in the PSVR itself is very, it has a lot of the screen door effect. And, you know, recently I, I was playing the Iron Man VR demo on the PlayStation VR and, you know, recently playing with the valve index and then going to that, I was like, wow, I, I really noticed the screen door. It was like hard. It was very difficult to get to adjust to. Yeah. yeah. So I think, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's cool. I was just going to say I, I have limited experience with the VR, but mm -hmm. I have played the PSVR and right off the bat, I was like, ah, like I'm not going to enjoy this. It's, I'm going to feel very disconnected from the gaming experience just because mm -hmm. it's sort of, you know, the viewport or whatever was distracting with that. Yeah effect and mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing to improve upon. Yeah. Uh, is just visually m making the user feel like they're actually in the game and not separated by a piece of glass right. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what I... Uh... I don't know. And there's certain games that I think do it better than others and, and utilize the tracking and have it optimized really well. Like, you know, the Iron Man VR demo was actually pretty cool and it was really easy to jump into. And the tracking wasn't wasn't too bad with that game. There was also um, Blood and Truth, which was a really good game. It was like an on rails type shooter. It felt like Time Crisis kind of, you know, going back to those old arcade shooters. Um but it was very immersive, and I, and I think they, they did that game really well. Um, but from what I've seen about the PSVR 2, which is interesting, is I think they are going the route of possibly like the inside-out tracking with, with the cameras, which the Oculus Quest does it really well. So if they pull it off in that manner, I would even really like to see, I don't know if they're doing like a, a wireless um, connectivity with the PS5. I think that would be probably the best way to do it is if they had some sort of wireless connectivity that they could um, bundle in with that. Or maybe it might be something that you can buy separately to make it wireless like you can. They used to have with the HTC Vive. They had a wireless connector. Um, and then the controllers that I've seen for the PS VR 2, um, they're just like going off of patents as of right now. But they they look like they're going to be very similar to the Valve Index controllers, where they'll be able to track your fingers and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, that's that's exciting. I think you know, um, if like PlayStation wants to be relevant in the VR industry, they're going to have to do something bold to keep up with everything else out there. Yeah, completely agree. Well, yeah. it's interesting that you know they're they have made that that investment. They're still like in the game. I think this next generation is going to offer the computing power necessary you know to make vr really accessible mm -hmm. um to most gamers and and yeah i think it, it has taken some time to develop the tech um i think valve you know pushed the envelope and inspired a lot of companies to um you know address these various issues um in vr tech and yeah, I don't know. I'm hopeful. Uh, I haven't really invested much yeah. into it yet, but I think this next gen, I will start to get into VR more. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's I think it's becoming more affordable in certain cases too. Like, you know, I hate to say it, but I, you know, for the Valve Index, I spent you know like a thousand dollars on that whole kit, whereas like you know with the the Oculus um, Quest, and now they just came out with the Quest Two which I think is supposed, you know, they re-engineered how the headset feels when you're wearing it. It's more balanced. I think it has a better, you know, because I think the the first one was very, like, front-heavy with, like, the battery being in the in the front, being a larger battery, and probably having a larger processor, and, and, you know, all that stuff. I think with the second one, they were able to strip down a lot of that stuff without um, compromising the performance of it um, being wireless and more comfortable so and that one you know i think that one's only like 400 bucks the first one was 400 and i think the second one is like i think it might be 300 for like the cheaper option because there's like the different memory sizes you can get so like that's that's a really awesome headset to get for for that cost i mean 
the barrier to entry, I think, is still different, you know, because it's like you compare it to a console. You're like, well, you know, do I want to buy a PlayStation 5 for 400 or do I want to buy this Oculus Quest for 400 bucks? You know, like not everybody has the money to do that. And, you know, I think, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, but it is I think it is becoming cheaper than what it used to be. You know, especially going from like, you know, some of the first Oculus headsets and the HTC Vive, which was, you know, I think around 800 bucks for the HTC Vive for that whole kit. You know, so it's, you know, it's, I think the, the uh, industry is changing and, and they realize that, you know, if they want to get more people into VR, you have to be able to bring that price down. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That you know. was a barrier for me, I think, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's coming. You know, I think the day is coming where it'll be a lot more accessible. And and hey, if it takes a while, I mean, we can always go back to Virtual Boy. You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think that's the best way. To, the best way, anyway. You know, it's better than all this VR stuff. Yeah, so I much mean, more realistic. Yeah, it's so much more. <laughs> Graphically, it's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, man. I think um, I think we hit everything that we wanted to hit today. Um, we made good time. Um, what do you think? Yeah, man. I think we covered everything we wanted to discuss, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I think it's it's all good. Cool. All right, well, guys, we're going to wrap this up today. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, again, if you guys want to write in and, um, you know, just tell us your interesting stories while playing a game, um, you want to you wanna link us, like, a funny video of some, you know, stupid shit you did in the game or, you know, just something, an emotional story that you had with a game, like playing Ghost of Tsushima, you know, you know just brought some really um you know interesting emotions you have something a life story that you had as a kid you know with your gaming we want to know about all this stuff we want to know your feedback um this is this is how we get to where we want to be you know we we want to be your place to go to for gaming podcasts you know we hope you guys enjoy the discussions that we have and we do this for you guys so you know if we get something wrong, you know, we want you to know we, we don't work in the industry. We're doing this just for the love of video games, you know, so don't uh, don't hurt us too bad. <laughs> All right. So that's it for this week. You guys have been great and keep your ear to the ground for more to come. Love you guys.